Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Napa know-how. Keeping it simple is usually a good thing. And when it comes to rewards programs, keeping it simple is always a good thing. That's why we made the Napa Rewards program effortless. All you need is your phone number to start saving on the parts and tools you need. Then we automatically give you $5 off your next purchase for every 100 you spend. So start saving today with Napa Rewards. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Matthew Kanata, MC Money, and I'm joined, of course, by Houts and Sutton. And we have a jam-packed show for you this evening. We have two very huge guests, and that would be Ian Wharton, who's going to be joining us in just a few minutes at NFL Film Study. Of course, the author of the very popular guy, and the one and only Richmond Webb. Yes, that is right. Richmond Webb, former Miami Dolphins offensive lineman. If you remember, Richmond Webb played for the Miami Dolphins. And, uh, of course, and the Cincinnati Bengals in the later part of his career, but played for the Dolphins from 1990 to 2000 and with the Bengals from 2001 to 2002. The man is very uh, well, well established throughout his career. AFC Rookie of the Year in 1990, seven-time Pro Bowler, four-times All-Pro, NFL 1990s All-Decade Team in the Miami Dolphins honor roll. Helton Sutton, I mean, this show is jam-packed tonight. We have we have a great one coming. I'm just going to try to not make an ass out of myself. That's my only goal for tonight. Like, yeah. just get through your question, try to sound a little bit like you know what you're talking about, and let's get through the show, and then you can geek all over the place tonight. Yeah, okay. I don't want to fangirl just go crazy, you know. I mean, I grew up watching the Dolphins. I at Richmond Webb, I mean, that's huge, man. And this is something that I never thought I'd be doing. I mean, we're sitting here 
three guys. We enjoy Dolphins football, and now we got Richmond Webb, uh, some say future Hall of Famer. I mean, he protected Marino for all them years. I mean, it's it's going to be an exciting show. Yeah, so we'll be talking, uh, uh, Ian, about his draft guide, of course, that was launched just a few weeks ago. $7 you can find on his Twitter handle and then to his website. We'll talk to him more about that. He has some interesting rankings there, especially on the interior offensive line. Forrest Lamp is considered, considered the consensus number one guy on the interior offensive line by many. But Ian has Dan Feeney um, rated as his number one interior offensive lineman. Dan Feeney playing for Indiana, 6'4", 305 pounds, got an 8.5 grade from Ian. Comparison is Trey Turner. And he does see as the Dolphins have one of the best fits for him. So we will talk to Ian about that and then a few other things regarding the draft as well once he joins us. And then also when Richmond Webb comes on, we will be talking to him about the really the process of a guy, an offensive lineman coming from college into the NFL, how one can possibly adjust to the different styles of play, to the bigger defensive ends and his bigger defensive tackles. And then, of course, we know there's a lot of talk right now about the Dolphins taking an offensive lineman in the first round. We'll get his thoughts on how important the offensive line is and what the Dolphins may do in that situation. So I know, like we just said at the top of the show, we're really looking forward to having Richmond on and talking about the offensive line because we know that is a possibility for the Dolphins to pick an interior offensive lineman in the first round. So when Ian joins us, like I just mentioned, we'll be talking to him about the offensive line. But some chatter has picked up over the past few days in terms of who the Dolphins may pick. And we think that it's going to be defense. Chris Kaufman today on Twitter at CK Parrot said that he's thinking the pick may be a safety in the first round. Now, when you look at that, you can look at Obi Melifonwu from UConn. You can look at that guy. Uh or cornerback, you have Jabril Peppers, who I personally think is highly overrated. And then you have other guys in the mix as well. Some guys that we may look at for the safety position, Malik Hooker, will he be available when the Dolphins pick? Jamal Adams from LSU. I just mentioned Obi, Buda Baker. Ian Warren has Jabril Peppers ranked number five safety overall. Then you got Eddie Jackson at number six for Ian. And if you recall, Kyle Krabs a few weeks ago said on the podcast that he thinks Eddie Jackson will be a great pick for the Miami Dolphins. So for you, House and Sutton, we've been talking about this ad nauseum for the past few weeks and we'll continue up until the actual draft. But I think the Dolphins are wide open in terms of where they go with the draft this year in terms of whether it's cornerback, defensive end, safety, linebacker. Uh, someone said running back, but I don't see running back at all, and possibly even interior offensive linemen. Sutton, what do you think about that? It's incredibly wide open this year. I can't remember a year where we've not had such a glaring need that we maybe had to reach at times. So it's – although on one hand we're, I'm a little worried that we have too many holes that we can address in one draft, which I think is the absolute truth. Um, so I think we just need to go in and just hit on the first two or three players. If we can do that, that's a great thing. But definitely very difficult to pinpoint what the Dolphins are going to do this year because, like you said, I've, I've seen 
every defensive position there drafted or mocked to the Dolphins in the first round. I've seen cornerback. I've seen safety. I've seen linebacker. I've seen D-tackle. I've seen defensive end. So he really could address any defensive position and upgrade this defense. And then you throw guard into the mix. So there's, it's really hard to pinpoint what the Dolphins are going to do. Yeah, I agree with both of you. I mean, the, the team, what they've been doing in free agency, they've been plugging and playing these key vets that can start and make an impact. But then that, that pretty much sets them up to do whatever they want in the draft. So, I mean, like Sutton and both of you have said, offensive guard, Forrest Lamp, that, that'd be a huge get. Not, I know a lot of us uh, – We'd rather not see an offensive line. We've been seeing offensive linemen drafted in the first round for the last several years. But, I mean, you get a guy like Forrest Lamp, and that solidifies that offensive line for the next decade or so. And then we see the holes on defense. We could still use another linebacker. At defensive end, we continue to get older. You got a guy like Cameron Wake. He's still a monster, but he's 34. And then you got a guy like Andre Branch, who's more of a situational pass rusher. So I could definitely see the Dolphins going defensive end. You got a guy like like I've been saying pretty much a lot of the offseason, Taco Charlton, he might not be that guy that comes in and makes an immediate impact, but uh, I, I think he has the skill set to improve and become a elite player at his position. And then Jordan Wills is another name that keeps getting thrown around, Tacos McKinley. Uh, I mean, they could go any direction. And like we said before, state cornerback. So, I mean, it's pretty much wide open. And for me, I mean, there's very few players the Dolphins could draft uh, April 27th that would have me upset. So I, I just hope the Dolphins do the right thing get a player that can make an immediate impact and build for the future. All right. Let, while we still wait for Ian, I'm not sure what's going on here. He may be having some difficulties calling in. He may be tied up with something. But while we're waiting for Ian to call in, let's talk about Jordan Willis real quick because I know he's been putting on quite a show lately at the Combine and his pro days and, and kind of flashing on people's tapes. Ian Wharton has him ranked uh, in the second round here and number 33 overall, number six on the edge. And Kansas State, 6'4", 255 pounds. Ian cites some of his strengths as being long build with great arm extension, can use his inside arm to create separation and get to the pivot point and tackle before, before he does. He has a signature inside-out move that is especially effective when he gets spread out extra wide, which we know the Dolphins love to employ. Weaknesses, his lack of bend through contact won't keep him from being a potential starter, but it is something that will cost him even more sacks in college. He'll continue to hold his upside back in the NFL and another one of his weaknesses loses track of the ball and gets tunnel vision. Some um, have compared him, including Ian, to Olivier Vernon. Now, if you're if you're the Dolphins, do you consider drafting someone like Jordan Willis in the first or second round? I think absolutely, absolutely, and I think Ian might actually be on the line now. MC Money, so maybe we could bring him on and hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, I mean, for me, Jordan Willis, I definitely think that's a player the Dolphins could take. I mean, I know he's a big fan of Cameron Wake, so that doesn't hurt. I mean, to have him sit there and learn his craft underneath one of the best defensive ends in the NFL, I could definitely see Jordan Willis being that pick for Miami. Yeah, and I'm leaning more towards defensive end being a day two pick just because there is a lot of depth there and we do have some other yeah. positions to draft. It might be the, the smart move to – to take advantage of that depth and get something in round two, round three, and let them develop, like you said, behind behind Wake, behind Hayes, behind Branch. He's, whatever rookie we get is going to have some veteran leadership in front of him. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, this draft seems to be set at the defensive end position. Even at corner, I mean, uh, we've been saying it all show. I mean, they can go any direction. It's hard for me to own in on one player that I personally want. Uh, 
I just hope Tannenbaum and Gase they do the right thing. I mean, personally, I won't mind seeing the Dolphins trade back, maybe accumulate another pick or two, but that hasn't been something that we've seen over the last few years. So, I mean, two weeks, what, two weeks, uh, 16 days, I guess. I guess we'll see what the Dolphins do with that 22nd pick. All right, we're going to switch gears here for just a few minutes. We do have some mix-up with Ian Warren. He's going to be calling in at about 9.50. He is very booked with his shows and, and calling in. But right now, we are joined by the one and only Richmond Webb. Richmond Webb, as I said at the top of the show, played for the Miami Dolphins from 1990 to the year 2000. AFL-AFC Rookie of the Year in 1990, time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, NFL 1990s All-Decade Team and a member of the Miami Dolphins honor roll, Richmond Webb. Thank you for calling into Finsider Radio. How are you doing this fine evening? I'm doing good. How are you doing? We are doing fantastic. We couldn't be better with you joining us here on Finsider Radio. So, Richmond, let's get straight to it here. There's a lot of talk about the Dolphins drafting an offensive lineman in the first round of the NFL draft. A lot of fans get upset about that because that is not the sexy pick, right? They want a cornerback, they want a linebacker, they want a safety. For you as an offensive lineman, knowing how how important the offensive line is for an NFL team and for a quarterback, and for you watching the Dolphins since you've retired, what would what would your thoughts be in terms of the Dolphins drafting an offensive guard in that first round? Well, I think the fans a lot of times they really don't understand. I'm not gonna say they don't understand. Well, they look at it and say, well, we need this, we need that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter who you pick. If that guy doesn't turn out to perform or he ends up being a bust, whether it's an offensive lineman, guard, defensive player, whatever, um, it, it's, it's not good for the team. So um, I, I think uh, the Dolphins will do the right thing and – if the player is not there, they're definitely going to try to fill needs. Um, but I don't really get caught up in the draft because you still got to go out and produce. And a lot of times some guys just don't transition over well. And then other guys, you get them in later rounds and they just explode into a superstar. So uh, it's a lot of factors. I'm going to just wait and see who we draft. And then, you know, I'm, I'm going to be happy the way long as it works out. That's, that's the way I approach it. Richmond, this is Sutton here, and thank you so much for joining us tonight and spending a few minutes of your night with us. You were just talking about transitioning and, and how that works out for certain players, and it seems to me I can remember a day where offensive linemen getting selected in the first round, that was deemed a, a pretty safe pick, a pretty sure pick. And now mm-hmm. it seems in today's NFL – offensive linemen are, are having a little bit more of a difficult time transitioning to the NFL game. So I was just curious about your thoughts. Has it been the way the game has evolved? Is it the college game? Let, let, let me know why why it's it's difficult for these offensive linemen to transition to the NFL. Well, I'll, I'll give you my assessment or my opinion. Um, very few colleges, very few high school programs run uh, a pro-style offense. And um, even the school I went to, Texas A&M, it's a spread offense. Um, and most offensive linemen are in two-point stance. And even a lot of quarterbacks that have a lot of upside and promise, they struggle because a lot of quarterbacks can't take um, snaps from under center. And in the NFL, you got to be able to take that snap, drop back, 
you know, go through your progression reads and all that. And vice versa, as an offensive lineman, if you're going to play in the NFL, you got to be able to get in the three-point stance and come off the football. You got to be able to get in the three-point stance and, you know, pass block at times, depending on, you know, if it's, you know, short passing, quick passing or whatever. So um, the spread is effective, but as far as transitioning guys to the next level, I think it, it kind of hinders or slows their progress because now you got a whole new learning curve. You got to come in and say, okay, this is what you've been doing this for the last, you know, six, seven years through high school, college. Now we need you to be able to do this. And then I think some guys just struggle with it. And then also with offensive linemen, with the way the, the rules and stuff are changing, even at college and in, um, in the NFL, it's very limited contact as far as getting your timing down, getting your fit, and to be able to run the football, mm-hmm. you're going to have to hit somebody sooner or later. But everything is so limited now to try to protect players. And just, I understand that. But I, mm-hmm. I think that's a big, big reason they don't get the timing or they struggle making that transition to the next level. All right, we are being joined right now by Richmond Webb, former Miami Dolphins player from 1990 to 2000. Again, seven-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, among many other honors. Richmond, just a few more questions before we let you go for the evening. You saw the Miami Dolphins completely change this path under Adam Gase as the head coach, completely different from the Melbourne area. As a former player and as a fan now, can you look at what's going on on TV? And I know you still have connections within the building and such, but can you look at, you know, just by what's going on on the sideline, the way the players are playing, the schemes that you may see on the field, can you tell how much a difference there is between the two different eras and even eras of the past before Adam Gates came in and how completely different it is now? Uh, you got different players. Um, I think what I look for now is, getting back to the, the Dolphin tradition. And I think Coach Gase, uh, even when they opened up in Seattle, even though we lost that game, I thought that was a game that we could win. And then, you know, it kind of started out rough. And then about, I guess, five or six game in, it didn't really look real well for us as a as a Miami Dolphin team. But then, you know, they got to turn around. And then sometimes all it takes is a game or two and, a jive went off for, you know, 200 yards a couple times. And the way he runs the ball and his physical style of running, I think, you know, everybody just started to feed off of it and believe. And I think he got things going into the right direction. And I think that's what I would be looking to build on. They got a lot of young players. And like you said, if they can fill some of those needs and guys step in and buy into the program or what we kind of got started already, um, I'm looking forward to the playoffs again. And, you know, as long as we don't have injuries and stuff like that, we just, you know, got to keep putting the pieces together. And I don't think we're that far away. Richmond Houts here. Thanks again for joining us. Good insider. Uh, my question for you, uh, in my opinion, Dan Marino, the greatest quarterback of all time. What was it like playing with Dan? And is there one Marino moment that stands out for you uh, above some of the others? <laughs> Well, I, I, you know, Dan is probably one of the greatest players that ever laced up a pair of cleats. And um, I, I think it was truly special my first year because um, uh, being in the huddle with him and then having an opportunity to play with um, 
Mark Clayton and Mark Duke for the Mark Brothers. And uh, as a matter of fact, I just had dinner with Mark Clayton. His birthday was Saturday. So me and my wife had dinner with him and some more of his friends. So it was good to get together with him. But um, I, I think the thing that really impressed me was when we would get in games and we would go into the two-minute offense, and it was almost – it was almost kind of like surreal or unbelievable the way he could just orchestrate a drive and to have that kind of control and the the uh, uh, the way him and the Mark brothers was just on the same page and he could give a signal or a look and they kind of already knew what he was talking about. They're, they were just on a whole different level and just being able to experience that you know, go 80 yards down the field and, you know, sometimes less than a minute. It was just like, I think it spoiled people because people would always ask me, if y'all can do that, why don't y'all do it all the time? It, you know, the object of the game as an offense is, you know, throw the football, but you want to keep your defense off the field. But um, those are some of the, the most memories that I'll cherish that, it was just kind of like unbelievable, but being with a with a guy that's you know one of the all time greats, you don't get to experience that you know day in day out. So um, I really cherish cherish those times when I played in Miami. All right, Richmond Webb played for the Dolphins eleven seasons, set team records for one hundred eighteen consecutive starts, seven consecutive Pro Bowls, and Richmond we. Truly thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio, giving some insight on the offensive line, on the upcoming draft, on the way the Dolphins are now playing under Adam Gase, and, of course, playing with the GOAT, Dan Marino. We thank you for joining Finsider Radio. We will talk to you again in the near future. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks, All right, Richmond. Richmond. Thank thanks, you. Richmond. All right. All right. That was Richmond Webb. And, again, we thank you, Richmond, for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Great, great stuff from Richmond. Um, of course, you know, talking about the offensive line in the first round, talking about Dan Marino. I mean, anyone who played with Dan Marino probably has to be, wow. I mean, just hearing the stories, and we all hear stories, but to hear it from a former player inside the huddle to know what was going on, really, really fascinating stuff. Yeah, I was losing on my mind the, there. That's yeah, and great. Just, oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Hal. No, I was just saying, just listening to the talk, I started to get goosebumps. Just reminded me of my childhood watching Marino. Webb, I mean, oh, man, that was great. Awesome to have him on the show. Yeah, I was geeking out already, too. And it's <laughs> funny that he mentioned some of the nonverbal communication between the Mark brothers and Dan Reno because it's something that everybody always kind of knew, but you never knew just to what level they took that. And that's Dan just seemed to bring out the best in all of his wide receivers and it was just kind of cool to to hear Richmond say that one of the things that stuck out the most was his ability to communicate with his wide receivers. That was pretty cool. Absolutely. And another thing that he did mention um, before we bring on Ian Wharton is the two-minute offense. And I know a lot of Dolphins fans get upset when they see Ryan Tannehill employ the two-minute offense, and they're so successful with it. And they're like, okay, why don't he do this all the time? But Richmond said it right there, you know, you need even with Dan Marino, you couldn't run it all the time. You need to give your defense a break. You need to make sure they're well rested because as the game flows and ebbs and moves on, that eventually does catch up to the defensive side of the football. Okay, let's transition now to Ian Wharton at NFL Film, Film Study on Twitter. Ian, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. How are you doing tonight? 
Oh, I'm doing real, really well, guys. I'm uh, really happy to be on with you guys and really appreciate it. All right. So, Ian Wharton, uh, Ian, you have a draft guide that was just released a few weeks ago, selling now for $7. We purchased a copy of it. Really, really good stuff in here. It's great to have different, differing opinions for all the different draft guides that, that we've purchased and are reviewing over the next few weeks leading up to the NFL draft. Ian, if you could just give us a little rundown about the draft guide, what it entails, what, what it can do for you know casual fans, diehard fans, and how they can help use it to follow along with the draft starting in just a few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I started with this uh, this draft guide with the intent of kind of simplifying it down. You know, I I made a draft guide a couple of years ago, and I was really proud of that work. But I, I looked back at it, and I looked at some of the other analysis out there on the market. And, you know, it's nothing against that analysis, but I thought, you know, a lot of this is really too verbose. A lot of it's just a little overcomplicated, and I think we can really just get rid of some of the jargon and just kind of explain what I see and, and how that projects to the NFL and where that fits as far as, uh, teams and, and what they're running and incorporate kind of what I've saw throughout the, the last couple of seasons and, and, you know, use that to, to our advantage to help uh, project the talent. So, um, you know, I didn't go for a huge number of prospects with this guide. Uh, it's 202 evaluations total. Um, I would have loved to have gotten more, but, you know, time constraints and stuff and stuff like that. So, um, but I'm really proud of the work that came out. I think that the, the quality of it um, reflects really well. And so I, I, I went and I think looking at this guide, I think what people can get out of it is, is they can, first of all, the interactiveness of the PDF is, is really useful. Um, you can jump around to different um, evaluations, full-page evaluations throughout it, and uh, it's just really easy, very user-friendly. And uh, just by reading a quick page, you can kind of get, hey, here's his strengths, here's his weaknesses, here's how he projects, here's how he can be used the best. Um, and kind of my overall projection as far as their future success as well. So overall, I think it's pretty pretty easy to use and pretty easy to read. All right. And again, Ian, yeah, that is great. The tip contents and all the little different bookmarks, I've been using that a ton just to jump around, and it's really, really a great feature. So you don't have to scroll through all the pages, print out all the pages and so forth. You have everything right at your fingertips there. Again, only $7 for you fans out there who may want to purchase this draft guide. Ian, I'm going to jump straight to offensive line before we get House and Sutton in here as well. Um, a little interesting with, with you here with your rankings in the interior OL. You have Dan Feeney ranked number one overall, Forrest Lamp number two, and Pat Elfline number three. However, in your what I would do mock draft in the first round, you have the Dolphins taking Forrest Lamp. So can you just explain to us the difference between Feeney and Lamp? Is it because you're going with the uh, possible guard center combo, I mean guard tackle rather than, than another combination there, or is it just your overall feeling with Forrest Lamp as a better for the Dolphins? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of both. You know, Lamp's a guy, I, I don't think that you're going to play him at tackle um, in the NFL. He just doesn't really excel as far as the size requirements that the, that the teams look for. And whether you agree with that or not, it's just kind of the reality of it, and unfortunately. But I think Lamp's going to be either a great center or a guard, and I, I really look at him as a guard, and especially as a left guard. I think that he'll be a fantastic fit, especially for what Miami's doing, uh, where they can run a lot of outside zone and just take advantage of his athleticism in that regard. Uh, but I do like Feeney, and I, I wouldn't be mad even if the, the Dolphins went with Feeney. I think Feeney's a little bit better of a pass protector. Um, obviously, as a right guard, that's exactly what you're looking at for that position. Uh, but honestly, what it came down to is I, I graded them very similarly. 
Um, and in my grades, I don't really incorporate character or injuries, um, things that basically I can't 100% know uh, myself, even talking through through other sources and such. It's still muddy waters. Without actually meeting some of these individuals, I don't want to speculate, and I don't like speculating on that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But Feeney does have some concussion issues in his past. Um, also had a foot injury as well. And so in the what I would do mock, I can consider that a little bit more. And so I think with Miami's you know recent history with injuries, Forest Lamb's a little bit of a cleaner prospect for them. Okay. So and what's what's up? What do you have for Ian? Ian, appreciate your time tonight. I'm gonna kind of cheat. I have a two part question for you. One of the things that I liked about your draft guide for guys that haven't bought it yet was that you have a best fit for each prospect. So I was kind of curious what kind of variables you considered to ascertain whether you know, a prospect was a good fit with the team. And then kind of in addition to that, you know, Dolphins are looking on the defensive side of the ball primarily. Which positions do you, do you see this year as being particularly deep? Um, I'll tackle the second one first. Um, uh, this is a great draft for the Dolphins as far as defensive needs. Uh, you're looking at edge prospects at defensive end and cornerback prospects. I think those are going to be the no- number one and number two holes that the Dolphins have to come away with a major infusion of talent um, within the first four rounds, I think, or at least the first four, first four picks, I should say. And obviously they've got the multiple fifth-round picks, and that's a good opportunity to maybe take some fallen talent at that point too. Um, but definitely defensive end, 4-3 end, um, this is a great draft. Whether you're looking at the weak side or strong side, you've got to find somebody who can eventually replace uh, Cameron Wake or at least give a lot of competition on that other defensive end position, even with Branch and Hayes in, in the fold. I think there's still room for a good enough rookie to break into that rotation. Um, and then a cornerback, too, whether it's a slot corner or an outside corner or both. Uh, if you can get a guy who can play inside and outside, that would be an excellent. And I think that there's definitely going to be guys available into round three that fit that description as well. So the Dolphins are definitely in a, a situation where they can benefit from the class depth at those two positions specifically. Um, it's also a very deep safety class, too. I, I don't really think the Dolphins are going to be looking at safety too hard, um, considering all the recent investments at the position. But if they do maybe find a great value there late uh, on day three, they shouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger. Um, for the first part, for the best fits in the guide, really – there's a lot that goes into that, and there are teams that maybe fit a prospect really well that I couldn't fit into that box, and just some prospects are that good. Um, and some positions across the league are that weak, especially linebacker and safety, where you could argue a good handful of these guys could go to 15 teams and really compete for playing time early in their career. Uh, but obviously I'm not going to put all those teams into one box. And so first thing that really goes into play there is going to be the scheme fit, similar to what they're running. Was this player used in a similar manner, and did he play well there? Uh, number two, um, what about the future of the position for the team? Uh, do they have competition at that playing spot? Uh, what about contract situations with current veterans? Are they going to need a starter this year or next year, or, or what exactly is that situation? Um, and then also maybe potentially this depends. Can they transform and transcend that situation and just fill a huge hole that could alter the, the face of 
uh, that side of the ball for them? Would they unlock something new that maybe that offense or defense was completely missing before? And so it, it's not an exact science, uh, but generally speaking, a lot of it's based off 2016 play, not only by the incumbent players, but also the, the schemes and systems that teams run. All right, Ian, we are joined right now by Ian Wharton at NFL Film Study on Twitter. Be sure to purchase his draft guide for only $7. Ian, just a few more questions before we let you go for the evening. I'm going to switch gears from the draft real quickly uh, because Deion Jordan is headed to the Seattle Seahawks. And you posted an article earlier today saying that Deion Jordan is a legitimate comeback player of the year candidate. And I know you may have a little soft spot for Deion. So taking what Deion didn't do in Miami based on his, you know, college career. Then going back, if you can recall, maybe what you thought of Dion coming out of college and now with him moving on to the next part of his career, can you give us a little, and I know this is a very broad question, but can you give us a little, you know, insight as to why you think he may excel in Seattle? I know you mentioned he could play the Bruce Irvin role there if he gets, you know, back on track with everything. Yeah, so that that article was actually from a year ago. Um, It was before any of the knee injuries, um, but I was basically reposting it for the content in it. Um, I know the headline was like the big grabbing attention. Um, You know, you guys are in this industry. I'm not sure how exactly how you guys are, but I know at BR, a lot of the times our editors come up with the titles. And so, you know, they're they're clickbaity at times. And so, um, you know... Diving into the article, though, my bigger point was that if you give Deion Jordan a specific role and commit to it, whether it be outside linebacker, whether it be defensive end, we've seen flashes of considerable talent back at Oregon and in Miami. And people like to look at his stats and say, well, you know, this guy just sucked. To me, that's just really lazy. Um, he didn't obviously put up the statistical production, but he also never had a clear role with the Dolphins. One offseason, they wanted him to be an outside linebacker. One outside, uh, one offseason, they wanted him to be a defensive end. One offseason, they just didn't really have a plan at all, and they just kind of wanted to move him back and forth. I think you're going to see him go to Seattle, and these are some major questions. Who knows if the knee is healthy? Who knows where he's at mentally? You know, If he's overcome his demons, if he's kind of gotten past the things that he needs to get past, and if his knee is healthy, yeah, maybe he does make that roster. It's going to be an uphill battle just because it's such a talented roster. But what I can tell you is that they're going to have a clear plan for him, and he's going to benefit from having a clear developmental path, which is something that the Dolphins never really afforded him. And I'm surprised that they didn't bring him to camp this season just to at least see what he's like. But, you know, at the same time, too, I understand also wanting to wash your hands of the situation and just being ready to move on. So we'll see what he does in Seattle. I, I, I'm rooting for him. Um, I was a big fan of him out of Oregon. Um, but, again, I, I think Miami just kind of – it was one of those things where, where they messed up because they didn't give him a clear plan forward. And, you know, obviously he messed up, too, mentally. Um, the Dolphins didn't do a good job of, of knowing his background and, and where he was at mentally. Um, it was just a bad situation from the start and, and really unfortunate for both parties. Ian Houts here. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, earlier today you mentioned that you studied over about 200 prospects this season. If you could give me a name or two for who you would consider the most overrated prospect and then maybe one that you would consider uh, underrated in this year's draft class. Uh, for the most overrated, uh, boy, I could probably give you about five of those guys. Um, I think Tyus Bowser, uh, the outside linebacker from Houston, um, which is funny. I mean, I'm, I'm, he's local to me. Um, it's actually went to a lot of their games locally here. 
Uh, you know, I, he's really a, a great athlete in shorts, um, but he was kind of a guy similar to Jordan where he was an edge player that's not really a good pass rusher. Um, really his best role at the next level is going to be off-ball linebacker, that strong side linebacker who drops into coverage and covers tight ends. Um, but he really doesn't have any much experience doing it. Um, you don't really see the athleticism on tape either. And so I'm really worried that, you know, we're starting to see him in top 32, top 45 discussions when you look at his on-field play and there's nothing there that justifies even even close to that. You're really taking him, I think, as a, a, a developmental project and it may be a multi-year project or at least a rotational role where he's just playing third downs in a very specific role. And I, I don't think that's worth a, a day one or even early day two pick um, in this class. So, so that's been a little bit surprising to me. Um, undervalued... You know, that's a little bit of a tough one. Um, I'll go with Bucky Hodges, uh, the tight end receiver out of Virginia Tech. I think a lot of people maybe have him late day two, whereas I would be willing to take him either late first round uh, to early second round. He's 6'6", 255, 260 pounds in that range. He's really a receiver, though. He's he's got the frame of a tight end, um, but he wasn't used like that at Virginia Tech. He is a dominant outside uh, big play receiver, and – he ran a, a low, I think it was like a mid 4-5, but at 6-6, he just he breaks away from cornerbacks with ease, draws a ton of defensive pass interference calls, uh, big play threat to its truest meaning. And, uh, you know, he has some weaknesses. He needs to improve his hands a little bit. He needs to get better at the catch point, and he needs to use that size, I think, a little bit more often, although I do think he bulked up a little bit this offseason to, uh, to be maybe a potential tight end fit for some teams whereas maybe he wasn't at his playing weight um, throughout the season. But I think he's a little bit underrated, and I think he has basically the highest upside of all the receivers in this class. It's just, you know, some of that is maybe a little unlikely, but if you can get him in a situation where he's going to be running go routes, comebacks, and curls, if he can master those three routes, he's going to be a great player in the NFL. All right, Ian Wharton, one more question for you. Gun to your head, you have four in your mock draft. Gun to your head right now, do you still take Forrest Lampett for the Miami Dolphins if he's on the board? Yeah, I think I think he's going to be the pick uh, basically nine out of ten times. Um, the only guy that would get me to consider an, uh, moving off of that pick would be Malik McDowell, the defensive tackle from Michigan State. He's the only guy that I, I think that I would probably not uh, pass on Lamp for. Um, if you take Lamp in the first round, it allows you to go edge and take advantage of the class depth in round two. And then the rest of the class is yours at that point, uh, whether you want to go linebacker, safety, um, grab another guard, whatever it may be, all those options open up to you if you can get that guard-edge combo in the first two rounds. And, and Lamp would be an amazing start to that. I think he's going to be very similar to Zach Martin. All right, that is what many people are comparing him to as well. Ian Wharton, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. For all you listeners out there, give him a follow on Twitter at NFL Film Study. And please purchase his draft guide. Only $7 will help you tremendously for the upcoming draft. Ian, take care and have a great night. We'll be in touch. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right. Thank that you. was Ian Wharton at, uh, at NFL Film Study. Again, give him a follow. So great stuff there from Ian. You know, we've had Kyle Krabs on. We had last week John Ledyard from inside uh, the pylon. We had Ian this week. And we're going to get two more guys on at least before the draft hits us. And again, differing opinions, it is great to hear all the different things that these guys have to say. You know, the guys who put in the work when you watch these players 
throughout the entire year and then look at them in depth in multiple angles. And Forrest Lamp, that's Ian's dude. It looks like, you know, he would go with Forrest Lamp there if he was the Miami Dolphins. And the more we talk about this offensive line possibility, the more I'm starting to get on board with it. I hate to say it, but the more <laughs> I'm starting to get on board with it. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I, I feel like Kyle and John both said something to a similar effect. I know Kyle had mentioned um, taking Eddie Jackson in the first round, but he still mentioned offensive line on the show. So that seems to really be a common thread with even, you know, non-syndicated mass media outlets here. We're talking independent guys here. They're on board with the guard, so it's kind of hard to ignore that. Yeah, I'm on on board. Yeah, I'm on board. I I think we need defensive players, but I think like Ian said, I mean, the depth in this year's draft is unbelievable for defensive ends, corners, and and other players. For me, I think if far slams there, I mean, pull the trigger. That's comparison to Zach Martin, put him next to Laramie Tunsil for the next decade. And, I mean, you saw what J.H.I. did last season with a banged-up offensive line. Could you imagine what he would do? With, um, that would just be incredible. So, yeah, sign me up. I mean, guard isn't the, the pretty pick, but you could do a lot worse than Forrest Lamp at 22. Yeah, remember John Ledger said last week that he would take Lamp as well. Um. So, yeah, we'll have to see. Listen, the draft is only two weeks away. I mean, it's coming fast. It is crazy. So we will have to see. And, and more draft talk, not Miami Dolphins related, but just coming out tonight from Adam Schefter saying there are questions in Cleveland about who is going to go number one overall. And while many think Miles Garrett, the defensive lineman, will go number one overall, there are some in the Cleveland front office who like Mitchell Trubisky a lot better. So we will see how that all shakes out there. We do have one call. We're going to bring him on to Finside Radio. Thank you for calling. What can we do for you tonight? Hello? Hello. How's it going? Good. This is Kai. Kai. Kai, how you doing, buddy? What's up? I'm pretty good. How about yourselves? We are doing fantastic. What's going on? What's your question for tonight? All right, I was going to ask you guys what you guys thought about trading out of the first round completely. Huh. I'm going to give this one to Houts because I know he likes to talk trades. Houts is the trade master. You should see this dude maneuver trades in Madden. But Houts, what do you uh, got? He's the, what trade, do you got for he's the trade guru. This, this, is, this is like that time you called me the running back guru and, and all that stuff. But, I mean, <laughs> trading out. Guru. <laughs> trading out of the first, that's, that's a bit crazy. I mean – I guess it would depend on what the what you're getting in return. I mean, are you getting a second round pick? I mean, for me, I, I'd rather stay in the late first, moving out of the first round completely. That's that would be tough for me. So I mean, it's easy to say, but depending on whatever whatever offer comes our way, I mean, that to me would would be the difference maker there. I mean, you could see the way the draft board's falling, depending on if a quarterback falls to 22, maybe a team wants to trade up for him. Ideally, I'd like to stay in the first round, but I mean. I'd do anything for the right price, so there's that. <laughs> All right, Kai, that is your answer, and I would have to agree with how it's, uh, it's going to be very tough to trade out of the first round. Um, you, you, got, you got your guys there. Ideally, you'd like more picks. I think it would be more likely for the Dolphins to trade out of the second or third round rather than the first. But, again, nobody knows. We will see. Kai, thank you for calling Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you on Twitter. All right, guys, we are uh, 41 minutes in. Let's just check the live thread real quick. Do we have any questions there for us before we wrap up the show? 
How do you see anything? Uh, pretty much the only one I see is how much does the panel think the Dolphins would select a guard or any offense line with 22nd pick? That's from Alpha. I mean, I think we already touched on that. Seems to be the way that we seem to be leaning now, and so far all the experts we brought on this show seem to be pretty high on Forrest Lamp. So, I mean, to solidify that offensive line again, that run game was a huge part of the Dolphins' success last season. To give that offensive line a, a boost like Forrest Lamp, give J.H.I. another uh, big mauler to run behind him. I like the, the way that would come out. So, I mean, Dolphins can do worse than Forrest Lamp. I sign me up for it. I think that's probably the consensus pick, and I think that's probably the way the Dolphins are front off to leaning right now. Yeah, like we said, Ledger said Forrest Lamp. Uh, Wharton said Forrest Lamp. Krabs said Eddie Jackson. We'll have uh, some more guys on the next two weeks. We'll have to see what they have to say. But, again, it's all fluid situation. Draft boards are just being finalized by the teams as of last week. So we may hear some things coming out of different areas like we are for the Browns right now. It will all start to come together. I remember last year I found out the night or two before that Eli Apple was at the top of the Dolphins board. And he was a name that nobody was really talking about leading up to the draft. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone gets a hold of some information. They spread it along. They pass it along. And, yes, Eli Apple was at the top of the Dolphins board in addition to Ezekiel Elliott. And they were going to target Eli Apple. And it would have been a very interesting pick if both Apple and Tunsil were on the board when the Dolphins picked at 13. But, of course, Apple picked a few picks earlier by the New York Giants. And Tunsil being the pick for Miami, which is now paying off because they have moved on from Brandon Albert, who was aging and injury prone. All right, there it is. I mean, you, you, we, we didn't talk too much amongst ourselves, but we had on Richmond Webbs, and, and that could be a whole show right there. We could end the show forever, retire, and, and that would be it. Um, <laughs> retire out towards the top, right? And then, of course, Ian talking about the draft. You know, at this time of the year, it's probably best to let the experts talk, right? Us guys, we, we look at the draft guys. We, we, we browse stuff. We view stuff. We read stuff. But we're not the experts. We admit that. So that's why we're bringing on these guests each week, and we're talking to them for about 10 to 15 minutes to get their opinions. And then we, of course, form our own opinions after talking to them and after reading several drafts. So more news coming out over the next few weeks. We'll have to see where it all shakes up. Of course, the free agency period is just about dead in the NFL right now in terms of going up to the draft and making any signings. You're not going to see much happening. Once the draft ends, then you may see some things pick up a little bit more after the teams need to fill their holes. But – we're at a standstill now up until the NFL draft. House, I know you'll be in Philly watching the draft live. I know we can't talk about on the air what you plan to do at the draft in terms of enjoying it <laughs> to the fullest potential, but I trust that you're going to have an absolute amazing time. Yeah, I can't wait. I mean, it's going to be crowded as hell, but it's one of those opportunities you might not have again, so the wife and I are going to make the trip down. And hopefully we survive the night. All right, and, so, and you are in Cleveland land, and I'm sure the talk shows will be buzzing tomorrow morning in terms of whether the Browns are going to go with Trubisky or Garrett. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it's a pretty popular off-season topic for Cleveland Browns fans is to talk about who they're going to draft. I mean, it's not the so distant past that that was us, so it's kind of nice to have that in the rearview mirror. Like, obviously, we're going to talk about the draft, but you know, the Browns are at a all sort of different level than us right now. So it's it's kinda of cool to be separated <laughs> from that too. <laughs> yeah, and I know I know you hear it. Right? <laughs> and I know you hear it, you know, all the time out in Cleveland. And again, I love Cleveland. 
absolutely fantastic city. I will go back in a heartbeat, as you know, Sutton, and as you know, House, I've talked about it plenty of times. I would absolutely love to make the trip to Cleveland once again and drink beers with you, Sutton. We all know that I can go toe-to-toe with you and outlast you any night of the week in terms of <laughs> how much we can pound, right? As long as it's two beers, uh, right, Sutton? That is rich. That is very rich. All right. That is going to be it tonight on Finsider Radio. We thank everyone for joining us. We thank Richmond Webb, the one of the many goats who played for the Dolphins during their heyday under Don Shula. And, of course, Ian Wharton, plenty of draft experience in terms of evaluating talent and the results to prove that he is uh, pretty damn good at what he does. So that's going to be it. Make sure you join us next Tuesday. We will be lining up desks to talk more NFL draft. We will try to get some former players on, as we did this week with Richard Webb. And, of course, we'll be bringing on another independent draft analyst. For Houts and for Sutton, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.